0: 10 projects, I hope three to four of them fail. I hope they fail because that means you took a risk and you, you took a chance. At the same time, one or two of them ought to be, ought to be home runs for the, for the company. So yeah, that's difficult for some people because you know to, to take a risk and to say, yep, that didn't work and let's move on to the next one. That, that's an important part of it. You know, I didn't try to reinvent YSI. I, my focus was more on um, leading the company through the kind of change that had to occur in order to ensure the survival of the business so that the employees could continue to have jobs, could continue to participate in the wealth that we created in the business, and that, of course, the community of Yellow Springs would also benefit from that.
1: There's an awful lot to be said for pig headedness. Or being too dumb to know what we should be doing, we weren't so driven that we had to get a big return in hurry. We were of a mental attitude that allowed us to fumble around with a fair degree of satisfaction, a fair degree of return.
2: This sleek, high-tech device began a long line of instruments for YSI. But it was thrown together by Hardy Trollander, who had gotten a call from Dr. Leland Clark. Clark was working on the first heart-lung machine, and he needed to measure core body temperature.
1: Well, he finally decided he really needed to take the measurement on a big St. Bernard dog that was going to be on the heart-lung machine the following day. And so he got hold of me and asked if I could put something together that evening, which I did. Now uh, the the thing looks terrible because nobody ever built that kind of electronic thermometer and here I was without being able to really design it. I had to throw together all the parts I could find in the various junk boxes around YSI. The meter was a, a meter that was loose, there's no calibration basically on that meter. <clears throat> just a zero to hundred scale. So I said, "Well, how are you going to do this?" So he took the thing and he smoked the glass on the meter, and then put the put the sensor in the in the in the big uh, bath. And when it finally, the pointer finally came to rest, then he just scratched through the the smoke, and that was thirty seven degrees C. That was the calibration major calibration point. Above that was fever, below that was going toward hypothermia.
2: The young Hardy Trollander was interested in building things, radio receivers, shortwave radios. He even put an illegal television transmitter on the air in 1936, but just for a few minutes. His engineering training began at Purdue, but Hardy Trollander was more suited to Antioch College. Antioch College was the backbone of the village of Yellow Springs, a place in Ohio which always seemed to have a broad outlook, a basic humanity, and an encouragement of free and out-of-the-box thinking long before those words became cliché. The Antioch environment was a demanding and fertile place for engineering students Hardy Trollander, John Benedict, and Dave Jones who first began building instruments for use by the Fells and Kettering Laboratories near the college and Wright Laboratories at wright Pat? The three young engineers decided to start a business in 1948, and they carved out a space in the Antioch Science Building.
1: At the time, Antioch had a reputation for being a lefty communist school, and it was the greatest force for free enterprise in this area. They were were encouraging all kinds of business to start. And people like Fells, etc., prior to then there had been an Antioch Shoe Project, there was an Antioch Hybrid Corn Project, and a number of other things. They were really, thanks to Arthur Morgan, it was a very atypical small school. About 25% of the total budget of Antioch was going into research programs. Fells, Kettering, what have you. I don't think there was another small college in the world that had that sort of percentage. And Adyak, as usual, was way ahead of the curve. After the war, the big universities took over.
2: The first instrument in serial production was the dielectric constant meter.
1: For measuring the dielectric constant of liquids, a pretty fundamental measurement that uh, is found periodically in chem laboratories But it was more a teaching tool than a production tool. In other words, it it was teaching one of the elements of chemistry that actually didn't get used all that much in practical sense.
2: So with a capital outlay of $100 each, the three engineers had begun the Yellow Springs Instrument Company in June of 1948. In February of 49 the company was incorporated, and soon Dave Case, who had been friends with Hardy and the boys at Antioch, came back to Yellow Springs to join the company.
3: I think they felt they could use more talents, probably more than I had. <laughs> Uh, because some of the uh, first conversations that we had specifically was uh, uh, whether uh, I was interested in marketing. And uh, uh, I said, sure, I'll try anything.
2: <laughs> Case was more of an engineer than a marketing guy and began work on a cardiotechometer and a skin resistance measuring device. One of his jobs was to figure out how to manufacture the instruments, right down to the sheet metal for the box. Dave Case worked on a contract for the Dayton-based Huffy Bicycle Company. They wanted a bike with a radio, and this is long before transistor radios made portable really possible.
3: Well it was just a small radio, and there were sort of compact, portable radios, battery operated, that uh, we built into a uh, chassis that fitted uh, into a little sort of tank arrangement, uh, simulated motorcycle, <laughs> uh, gas tank. We built hundreds of them. They sold them, uh, uh, but uh It was, uh, again, the wrong thing at the wrong time. Uh, The imported lightweight bicycles were just becoming popular, and Huffy was for these big, heavy, boom-tired things. (laughs) uh, Kept adding on batteries and uh, uh, radios and buzzers and sirens and (laughs) whatnot. It's the wrong way to go.
2: The radio for the Huffy radio bike was not the contract that put YSI on the road to success, but a contract that demanded such accuracy in timing that no other companies were willing to bid for it would put the YSI guys to work.
1: You set it for every, any intervals of 10 milliseconds. 99.99 seconds had to be significant. In other words, it could not be 99.98 or... or uh, 10.000.
2: The instrument was a camera timer, which would be used for bombing practice without bombs.
1: The Air Force decided that they needed to have a, an additional system for training bombardiers, where bombardiers actually flew, flew and released purported bombs or fake bombs uh, at the targets that ordinarily wouldn't want to drop anything on. And so they came up with a concept that the bombardier would push a button, it would start a timer. The timer had been preset to the time it would take for a bomb to drop from that particular altitude and where it would hit as a function of forward motion of the aircraft. Uh, And the timer was going to then fire a camera that was mounted in a, a gimbals looking straight down from the aircraft. The, the uh, camera took the picture and that was supposed to show where the bomb would have landed had it been a real bomb. So I came up with the notion of a crystal clock and some frequency dividers and then electronic flip-flop counters. So the whole thing was, a, was in effect a computer using vacuum tube and relay logic. Basically, it was what we would now call a 16K RAM with an onboard crystal clock and heavy-duty input and output gates that describes 18 tubes worth of electronics and three continuously rotating uh, telephone switches and a lot of claptrap.
2: Then there were no more camera timers needed and no more radio bikes in demand and no more work. So in 1955, some employees of YSI were laid off. And in Yellow Springs, Ohio, those employees were family and friends. Research at the Fells Institute was progressing, and the telethermometer was developed for use in labs and hospitals. The probe was a thermistor which measured core body temperature rectally. The instrument was designed for patients who were sedated, But NASA pulled it off the shelf to use with the astronauts who were at work in space. Earlier, Dr. Leland Clark and Hardy Trollander had written an article for the Journal of the American Medical Association. It drew attention to the telethermometer, leading to new developments and new kinds of instruments.
1: I had breathed a sigh of relief because we were no longer in the bomb-scoring business and we were now in peaceful... Stuff that we really had done a neat job with a telephonometer that was socially very acceptable. Then the guarantee cards started coming in from Fort Dedrick, the headquarters of chemical warfare for the U.S. Army. And of course, that's when we learned about pyrogen testing. They were trying all this stuff out on rabbits and what did happen to the rabbit's temperature. So all of a sudden, I realized there ain't no purity in this device. <laughs> that anything that you you come up with for, quote, the general good, there will be an application of eight for the general good that provides a major market for you.
2: Dr. Clark's heart-lung machine would enable a patient's heart to be operated on while the machine supplied him with oxygenated blood. Dr. Clark was working on an electrode which could measure the amount of dissolved oxygen in the blood. He found a particular membrane which allowed these measurements to be quite accurate and reliable. YSI built the Clark electrodes and the first heart-lung machines. The YSI engineers and the public soon realized the potential for the measurement of dissolved oxygen in water, and one of the first commercial clients was Dayton Power and Light, who were concerned with thermal pollution in the river near their plant. YSI was in the business of minding the planet before the word recycle was in the dictionary, and before Earth Day and global warming were common speak.
4: If you throw some some refuse into the river. The river tries to get rid of it. It gets rid of it by sort of rusting it. It uses oxygen to decompose this material. So as it uses more and more oxygen, uh, there's less and less there. And now you have to measure this. Standard wave was called BOD. It took five days. All of a sudden here was something that could measure it, measure oxygen just by sticking it in the water. And so
2: this is where this started. Ray Shift saw huge potential to sell the instruments of YSI through a series of existing distributors. Each distributor had a catalog of scientific, laboratory, and medical supplies, and they would sell to their clients throughout the U.S.
4: Matter of fact, there was a, uh, a board member, and I said, We've got to go overseas and set up similar uh, laboratory sorry, supply houses in Europe. And uh, he wasn't sure that I wasn't just trying to get a free trip to Europe, but I ended up betting him that for a 1000 bucks I could go to Europe and set up a distribution system. And so what I used to do is buy tickets to Vienna, but I'd stop in London and Paris and Amsterdam and Oslo and Stockholm and et cetera. Uh So my first trip, uh, I, I got a list of the, who the dealers were in the various countries, talked to some of my compatriots who had similar problems, and we were able to set up a distribution system in Europe uh, very early in the game. This was both a positive mood in terms of beginning more orders, and a defensive move in that we now were first on the market, and anyone in that country who decided they wanted to make that type of instrumentation had to fight against us. We were there.
2: Right now I'm working on a dissolved oxygen meter that's a 550A. Very popular model of ours. This one, I didn't have to be a rocket scientist. They uh, got this one caught in their propeller uh, of their boat. So I've just put a new 50-foot cable assembly on it. I'm taking it through the final uh, testing procedure. The temperature thermistor is right here. This is the dissolved oxygen sensor. And right now, I've got it in a 40-degree bath, and I'm verifying that that it is indeed reading 40 degrees as part of my final test. And as you can see, this is a good one. The company grew and grew up with a set of social and respectful policies towards its employees. Blacks and women were part of the team from the very beginning, and Hardy Trollander's ideas about employee ownership were adapted and made part of the culture. Well, you'll need the membrane kit right in the beginning. Some that, So, it suggested that you would go ahead and get that.
0: When I came here, I discovered that there, Throughout the organization, there was a high level of appreciation for you know, what um, had happened prior to my arrival. And I think one of the important things that happened is that what I did was build on Hardy Trollander's
2: successes. When Hardy was looking at retirement, Malta Von Matheson was a good fit for the top job at YSI. Or was he? He had also graduated from Antioch College. He had learned the same set of values and all that. But he had been working in big corporate America at the National Cash Register Company. And he'd been pink-slipping thousands of people as NCR was forced to downsize.
0: Folks referred to me as the angel of death. Um, And here comes the angel of death. So I would show up at a manufacturing facility in Scotland and everybody. Oh, my gosh, why is he here? Seeing the human consequence of all of these layoffs and all of these consolidations and where people became a variable cost, you know you reduce variable costs to improve the operational performance of the company um, it just it was obvious to me that that was not really a productive way to to um, involve, uh, you know, folks in the business get the buy-in, get the participation that you need and the belief in the business. Um, So that when the opportunity at at what at the time was the Yellow Springs Instrument Company came along, it was really a chance for me to put into practice um, some of the things that I'd really come to believe in that were really important. So, for example, my time in Japan and living in Tokyo for six months and having a lot of exposure to the employment practices in Japan where people have jobs for life, and seeing the kind of levels of productive output and effort and commitment and the strong employee-based cultures that a lot of Japanese companies have. Big influence on my thought process.
4: This probe here measures temperature and conductivity. This probe measures chlorophyll, the amount of algae that's in the water of a general sort of nature. This probe measures dissolved oxygen. It's based on optical technology.
2: YSI's employees are its stockholders, and Malta Von Matheson saw to it that this type of employee based business was both open door and open books. Before we became employee owned, we had the, the open culture. After we became employee owned, uh, Malta uh, emphasized um, what that meant, um, you know, and that, that involved much more uh, in, uh, input. Uh, much more responsibility on everybody's part in that um, we're, we're being open with you. We're providing you with all the financial information, with, uh, with a lot of other information about where we're going and what we're doing. And um, your responsibility is to understand that information and, and give us feedback. The transparency within the YSI workplace spread to the community of Yellow Springs and far beyond when trouble came knocking. In 2001, we had a call from uh, Yellow Springs News asking us if we knew about the contamination at YSI and what we were going to do about it. And um, I, I really didn't know what was going on. I hadn't heard of any contamination, didn't know what to answer to them, except that we were using isopropyl alcohol for cleaning and I didn't know of anything else um, that was on the site. So in the summer of 2001, we sampled our three wells, EPA sampled about 10 residents